seated, and this morning, take your Bibles and turn, please, to Luke chapter 2. Um, Luke chapter 2, and while you're turning, let me remind you of the, um, again, of the days of praise. We have quite a few left, and encourage you to take one, if you haven't already, for your own personal reading, and then to share with others. This is a good opportunity to get some folks uh, a little introduced um, to the Word of God. Each day has a, a scripture reference and then other references um, throughout the article. And so, um, praise the Lord for those, those um, materials that we have, those helps. Um, Luke chapter 2. All right, let's take a look. We're going to start, we're just going to simply read verses 6 and 7, and then we'll pray, and then we'll look to, for the uh, grace of God to cover verses 1 through 14. And the birth of Christ in the next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we're going to have a message based on uh, some, some of the rest of the chapter on witnesses for Christ. And so some of the greatest examples, lessons for us about witnessing are right here in Luke chapter 2. They simply told what they saw and heard. And that's it. People tend to complicate witnessing. Just tell them what you know. Tell them what, you, what God has done for you. Tell them to use the scriptures, of course. Anyway, Luke 2 verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can be here today and open the word of God. And I just pray, Lord, that as our Bibles are open, so our hearts will be open to the truth of thy word. Help us by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is our privilege today to open the Word of God to Luke chapter 2. And when we began this series in preparation for that, I mentioned that there are two great prophecies. In fact, um, two of the greatest prophe prophecies ever given are found in Luke 1. One, of course, about the birth of John the Baptist, and we're going to read a lot more about him as we progress to the book of Luke. But then the second one, and really the greatest of all, is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that uh, John was born first, and so the prophecy of him is listed, and then the prophecy of Jesus. And yet I, uh, I was thinking about John's own words, and we'll get to those later, where he said, He that cometh after me, chronologically, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And so that's, that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind. And as I mentioned, there are so many lessons that we can learn from the life and ministry of John the Baptist. All right, and of course, from the life of the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to study this this morning about Jesus' birth. And we're going to start off, number one, the journey to Bethlehem. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's our topic um, for today. And hallelujah, amen for that. So we find, first of all, that there is a decree from Caesar. We've been studying on Wednesday night, briefly every Wednesday night, some of the attributes of God. And we've recently been talking about God's omnipotence, that is, his almighty power. And that God does things sometimes without means, but other sometimes with means. Now, God could have used anything. He had the whole universe at his disposal. Um, he could have simply said to Joseph, you need to go to Bethlehem. But you know what? It's interesting. I, I find it fascinating that God used the decree of an ungodly Caesar to help 
further his plan. Could it be? That's part of what Psalms is talking about when it says, He maketh the wrath of man to praise him. Now Caesar had, was not a student of the scriptures and he didn't say that fit in his heart. Well, you know, the Bible says Jesus has to be born in Bethlehem, so I think I'll make a law. No, that had nothing to do with it. It was for his own selfish gain and yet God used that. Let's read about it. Luke 2 verse 1. It came to pass in those days, that is the days of when Luke's prophecies are given and, and being fulfilled, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, Caesar Augustus was a Roman emperor. He's one of the more famous, I suppose, that Julius Caesar, uh, Augustus, and Nero are probably the three most well-known Roman emperors. Now, um, just think at the time, he was the emperor at the time of Christ's birth. Um, he began to rule about around 44 B.C. after the, the assassination of Julius Caesar. Remember, Caesar got assassinated, supposedly just before he died. He saw his right-hand man, Brutus, and that famous saying, A2, Brute, you know, you too, Brutus, uh, like Jesus had his Judas. Um, anyway, so he was there, and then he... Augustus took over, and then he died about A.D. 14. So he died several years after um, Jesus was born. But he issued this decree. Of course, that's what Caesars did. And their word was law. And so all the world, and it's interesting. This, this, is not, this is so interesting to me. All the details of scripture are so interesting to me. Notice that he says, it says here that all the world should be taxed. Now it's interesting that Luke takes that directly from Augustus' decree. Because they knew that there was other land beyond the Roman Empire. But they, didn't, they considered that insignificant. They considered the Roman, the area of the Roman Empire to be all the world and their arrogance. They thought nothing else mattered. All that mattered was Rome. They, they were it. Well, we know where Rome is now. But anyway, so they had to be, they, to, be, to be taxed, and that is to be registered or enrolled and taxed. So, so this, was go, this wasn't just a one-time thing. This was a thing they had to sign up for and be registered for. And it says this taxing, this registering and taxing, was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. All right, so um, wh why is that important? Well, because Judea, because of the way the Roman Empire and the emperors divided things up, the province of Judea was part of Syria. I mean, the, the, the area of Judea, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, so on, had been given by the Romans as part of Syria. Right? So that's why it says that. For years this verse was mocked by scoffers until records were uncovered that this man, Serenius, was also named Quirinius, and so that was the same guy. And all went to be taxed, every one uh, to his own city. Now that's another interesting thing, because Caesar knew that in the area of Judea in particular, um, citizens' genealogies were kept in various cities, and so they knew all their ancestors, and so Caesar capitalized on that. He said, here's the easiest way to do this, just have everybody go back to the town where their genealogy is, and be registered. That way, he figured that's the way he would guarantee that everybody, nobody would escape his taxing. So that's what's going on. And so this actually was, he was appointed. This is all 
happening right at this moment there in Luke chapter 2. Cerenius was appointed by Augustus in 4 BC. And um, the birth of Jesus Christ is also listed at 4 BC, not 0, or, but at 4 because of the calendars and so on. So all these things are happening all together. So the Lord used that to get Joseph. And so Joseph goes, Lotus Joseph, Joseph's destination, verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. And uh, Nazareth is where he fled. Um, I mean, he, when he, he went to Egypt from Bethlehem because Herod was trying to destroy the Lord. We'll, get, we'll see that in another message. And then God sent, told him it's they're, they're dead, Herod's dead, you can go back to Israel. And so God directed him to go to Nazareth so that Jesus would have a hometown that lined up with the prophecy. And Jesus became known, among other things, but probably when he was on earth, his, his, the main title was Jesus of Nazareth. And we, we see that throughout the Gospels. And the, the Nazareth means a branch because of its size. It was a very small town. In fact, it, was, it would be said later, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? All right? So at the end of Matthew chapter 2, the Bible says that this all happened. Jesus came to Nazareth so that he might be known as a Nazarene. Now the English word is Nazarene, but the, the literal translation is branch. All right? Now what do you read in Isaiah and Zechariah and other places? We read about the branch. You read in Jeremiah, the Lord shall raise unto David a righteous branch. And that's Jesus. Natzer is the word. And it's translated branch. It's translated Nazarene or Nazareth in the New Testament. And so that's so that is so interesting. Now notice it says this. It says that Joseph went up, also went up out from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now. The Lord had already appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And so that's already happened. He's, she has, he has taken her to be his wife, except they still hadn't come together physically. Right? The Bible says in Matthew 1 that he knew her not, that is, he kept her a virgin until after Jesus was born. That's, that's what he had to do. So he went there. By the way, that's a trip of about 80 miles with a wife who was about nine months pregnant. So, you know, it was difficult. I, can I help, I can't help but think about Americans, how we want everything easy. And God never promised easy things. In fact, if you read about his servants, you're going to find out they went through hardships. Do you think it was easy? Um, you know, I would be glad to lend Joseph my Equinox four-wheel drive to make the trip an hour and a half. But no. They didn't have those things. You know that. No helicopters, no ambulances, nothing. Probably a donkey. That's tradition. That Mary rode the donkey, Joseph led it along. No reason to, to believe otherwise. They couldn't afford a camel. They couldn't afford a chariot. Probably couldn't even afford a horse. Because Joseph was poor. But they went. Now watch, notice. Look at the end of verse 4. Because he was of the house and lineage... Of David. Again, these words are very, very important um, because 
You know, this, a lot of times in the Bible, when the Bible says house, it means household or family. That's not the meaning of the word that's translated house. It literally means a dwelling or a living quarter. All right? So, therefore, it's, um, it means place of residence. So, yes, so, okay, so that was Joseph's place of residence. That is, his family place of residence. And then lineage means family, line, or ancestry. And we, uh, we already noticed that a couple weeks ago from the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. Joseph was in the line of David. He was from the lineage of David. Joseph was in the kingly line. And if the kingdom had continued, you know, at, that was cut off, you know, by the captivities, uh, Joseph could have been in line to be king. And therefore, Jesus had the right to be king because Joseph not be, not was not his physical father, but he was his um, he was you could call it his guardian, his legal father, um, and so um, that's what his responsibility was, and and he took that responsibility. There's hints to that in the Gospels, and so they're there. They get there, and so then the next thing we see is that um, the Savior's birth. The birth of our Savior. She's great with child, the Bible says. Great with child. You know, that means she's along, all right? Um, it's any day now. And Bible says there, here's the birth, verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And again, I see the hand of God, obviously. God brought her safely through that the trip. You know, she didn't fall off the donkey. She didn't have the baby along the road. You know, God was there. Um, and I think, again, there's no doubt in my mind at all, God didn't necessarily make it easy for Joseph and Mary because they, they, they needed to trust him. They need to realize that God, when God says to do something and that he's going to do something, he does it. And we can do it. When, when God tells us to do something, we, um, we need to have that obedient attitude. And I, I love that about Joseph. Joseph obeyed. Whatever God said, he did. No question. Go ahead, take Mary. All right, I will. Take the child, go to Egypt. Okay, I will. All right, now it's time to go back to Israel. Okay, I will. Simple, simple obedience. Obedience. So that's what God always looks for. Verse 7, she brought forth a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now some of these things are here just to remind us that yes, this is God in the flesh. But he was he was a normal child. Um, there was no I want to put this right, you know, there was no supernatural things about his about him as a baby. I mean, yeah, he's virgin born and that that's and he's the, the son of God, he's deity, that's all supernatural. But as a baby boy he needed to be cared for. Just like any other infant. And one of the things that mothers did in those days, they put them in, they put swaddling clothes. That was to keep him warm and also to make sure that his bones and his arms and legs, especially in joints, were lined up right and it was protection and all those things. Then, of course, in the manger. Now, the word manger is kind of a, is a word that can have a kind of a, a variety of meanings. It can mean like, it can mean like a feeding trough for animals, and it can also mean a stall, where animals feed and rest. So anyway, when, when um, we're going to see, we, we won't get that far today, but next week we're going to see how the shepherds came to, to Bethlehem and saw the child and Mary, Joseph, they were all there together. 
Mary, Joseph, Mary, and the babe. But they put him in a manger. You couldn't get any, 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 any more lowly birth. You know, Jesus wasn't born in a palace with kings, you know, princes all around. No, he had better than that. He had the angels all around. But a very, a very humble birth. Manger. Uh, because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem may have just had one inn, or it's also likely that in some of the residences in Bethlehem, there would be living quarters upstairs, and then a bit the basement would be for the animals. So at any rate, Jesus was put where animals would be put, not people, all right? He was put where the animals would stay. And so again, it was, it was a, a, a humble birth. It was his humiliation, his laying aside, as it says in, in, uh, in uh, Philippians. He emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. All these things. God directed all that. To, because he came to save. And he identified himself with those he came to save. And then that reminds us that we need to be content. The Bible says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. We ought, we ought not to want big things down here. If riches increase, Psalm says, set not your heart upon them. All right? We need to keep all these things in mind. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the example of all these things. And, and seriously, you know, we ought to have the same attitude towards worldly things as Jesus did. He had, he had no house. You know, there was a young man, we'll get to that maybe in Luke 9 someday, where this fellow said, I'll, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus guy said, oh, wait, just wait just a minute. I don't even have what the birds and the foxes have. I don't even have a place to lay my head in this world. Everything was borrowed in his life, right? So anyway, so he's born. No room in the inn, and certainly that isn't that isn't that kind of a, a prelude to what his life is going to be like, and isn't that how the world is today? I remember as a teenager, I think I still have the book, I should have grabbed a copy, but when I was a teenager at Mopany Baptist, we sang a cantata called, uh, no, uh, yeah, The Greatest Gift. So Great a Gift, that's what it was, I'll get it eventually. And one of the beautiful songs in there was called, No Room in the Inn. But a manger of hay, alright? But then it goes on to say, The world finds no room for its master, savior, and king. Those shepherds bowed low as they, as they worshiped and sing. And so that no room in the end, it's still the same way. The world finds no room. We read that passage in John. He came into his own. We'll back up before that. He was in the world. That's omnipresence. We're going to get to that one of these days on Wednesday night. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Can you imagine that? And the world knew him not. The world still doesn't know him. In fact, they do everything they can to deny him. Then the Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not. That is his own people. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But no room, no room. And we could have sang that great hymn, Have You Any Room for Jesus? Really, do we have room for him? Is he just kind of like a part of our life? You know, he's our fire insurance against hell, but that's about it. Don't expect anything else of me. You know, that, that's just, that's just the, the, the wrong attitude. Um, anyway, so they're there. Now let's take a look at 
the last thing, the angelic announcement. Two parts to this. Verse 8, And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, Jesus would later say, He that is faithful in least is also faithful in much. Here's these shepherds. By the way, shepherding was a very common occupation. It was a necessary occupation, but it was not an esteemed occupation. Shepherds were just considered, hey, they're shepherds because they, don't have, they can't do anything else. And so that's who God spoke to first, was shepherds. I want to make sure I get all this in order here. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's interesting that it's not insignificant, very significant. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. How appropriate that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. And the shepherds, who bore to announce the birth of the good shepherd? Then shepherds. Again, Jesus didn't come to Israel and say, I am the great king. No, he said, I am the good shepherd. And many shepherds were despised by a lot of people. And so they, they were there keeping watch over their flock by night, which is what they did. And this probably also was the time that lambs were born. And so they would be out there in the fold. Now, of course, in Israel, um, the shepherds, that, that's where the sheep were because people, they had their houses inside the village, but then they had their land outside of the village. And so they had sheepfolds. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 10, about the sheepfold. And everybody in Israel, everybody knew about sheepfolds and what they were. But so, so they're out there. Do I need to say that how appropriate that the Lamb of God is born while the shepherds are tending the lambs? This is not, this not, none of this happened by accident. And so they're out there by night, so it's dark. Maybe they had a little fire going, who knows? But you know, there were no street lights. The lights of the town would have been out by now. The torches would have been extinguished. The oil lamps probably turned off. And so they're out there. And lo, verse 9, the angel of the Lord came upon them, in other words, appeared to them, descended, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And so the sky, dark, but then all of a sudden it's brighter than noonday. And I believe that. It, was, it wasn't just bright. It was brighter than the brightest day because the glory of God shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the word sore means greatly or intensely. The idea is that the shepherds were filled with fear and they were terrified at what they were seeing. The end of the world, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if they're, any, if they're any different than people nowadays. Every time something happens, oh, it must be the end of the world. When the COVID started, I went to the bank. Is this the end of the world? <laughs> the pa Listen, what an opportunity. And I knew, I said, no way, no, this is not the end of the world. How can you be so sure? Let me tell you how I can be so sure. Do you do that? Do you, do you take those opportunities when you're out there and somebody says something like that? And you say, oh, I don't, nobody knows. I'm out of here. No. Do you take the time? I even talked to a pastor one time. Back in the 70s, there was a huge interest in prophecy. 
This guy was not a fundamentalist. I don't know if he's even a Bible believer. He was a Methodist pastor. He said to me, man, my people are bugging me. They want to know about the Lord's return. He goes, you know what I tell them? No man knows the hour. I'm out of here. I thought, how, how pathetic. By the way, that fellow repented. I think he got saved genuinely to the end of his life, and he threw away all his liberalism. He wasn't a preacher anymore, but witnessed to people. I'm a great transformation anyway. But, but listen, do you tell? Do you, give, do you take those opportunities? They're all around us. I, I just wish, sometimes I wish that um, I could just be that guy, forget about everything else I have to do, and just talk to people all the time. Because they need to hear, and they're open. What if somebody comes sitting in the barber chair, and the barber says, I'm scared. You're a pastor. Do you share any word of hope? Yeah, let me tell you about that. But are we doing that? Are we just so, are we like a, a caterpillar in our cocoon? God doesn't want us to be that way. We're his messengers. And I'm, never, I'm not going to let myself or any of you guys off the hook. I'm going to keep banging on that until the Lord comes. He, don't, he won't do it any other way. If they're going to hear, they're going to hear from us. Right? And so anyway, that kind of, that's kind of like a prelude to next Sunday. But the angel came upon them. And they were scared. They were terrified. And the angel said, verse 10, Fear not. Fear not. See, and here's the thing. The angel had a message. But it wasn't just so they had some information. Listen, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Alright? So there's a part, there's something underlined right there, if you don't, not, if not with a pen, in your heart and mind. The, the good tidings of great joy, the greatest message ever proclaimed, which shall be to all people. So this is so again. Here's one of the first references in the New Testament that this Savior was not just for Israel, but He was for everybody, all people. Interesting. You know the little that word sore. They were sore afraid. That's the same Greek word as what's translated great joy. So the intense fear, no, intense joy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But I want you to be, I want you to have that same intensity. But only this time, the joy. The joy of this announcement. For, for unto you, in verse 11, is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, <coughs> which is Christ the Lord. So the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, that's what Christ means. The Greek word Christos means anointed, and it's equivalent to the Old Testament Messiah. And so he's telling, the angel's telling them, yes, this is the one. This is the Messiah. But he's more than that. He's not just the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord. Right? He's Christ the Lord. So in a sense, he anointed himself. In similar language, in the, in the book of Hebrews, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as the sacrifice and the sacrificer. In other words, the priest. Which I think, I have a French Bible. 
I studied French in high school, and the word for priest is sacrificateur, which means sacrificer. Right? That was the main duty of priest. And so the Bible says that if Jesus were going to be a priest, he had to have something to offer. And he did. He offered himself. And so, Abraham said to Isaac, My son, God, with the Lord, will provide himself a lamb. And he did. And so, Christ the Lord. And I, I find it really interesting. Um, I was blessed to be in, in New York City the one year anniversary of 9-11. I went there with, with Ron Harvey and went there to help Pastor Matt Recker, who's still there by the way, to, to kind of pass out pamphlets and talk to people, got a chance to preach on Fifth Avenue, pretty cool. And then we had a meeting, a rally. Uh, but anyway, um, we were there and, and it was about just giving this joy, giving these tidings and, and Christ the Lord. And we talked to some, here's where I, I kind of lost my thought. But we, we got to see some Jewish rabbis and some Jewish, some of this, I, I, I don't mean this, it's Hasid, Has, I always want to say Hasid, but that's not right. But the, the Hasidic Jews. And I didn't realize this. This particular group did not believe that the Messiah was divine. They didn't believe that their Messiah would be the Son of God. I thought that was very fascinating. And we tried to tell them how much we loved Israel, but they, they hated us. I mean, they, they, treat, they called us a bunch of dogs and everything, which that's okay. But anyway, I found it very interesting. They did not believe. And so this is, why the, um, this is probably why the angel, uh, it, the angel made it very clear, Christ the Lord. Not just a man sent by God, but the Lord, okay? The Lord. And so the announcement in verses uh, 10 11, now here's the anticipation. I like this. And this shall be a sign unto you, to the shepherds. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That was all he said. He just knew they'd go. <laughs> all right? Somebody has said that Matthew 28 is not a command. It's not, you know, go ye and do all the work, go ye and, you know, go ye and, and, and therefore and teach all night. It's not a command, it's a participle. It means as you go, this is what you're supposed to do. In other words, it was already taken for granted by Jesus, already assumed and presumed that they were going. Okay? And so here, the angel anticipates that these shepherds are going to go. Right? And, and they did, obviously, we'll see that next week on Lord willing. And so you shall find the babe. This is a sign. This is what you're supposed to look for. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And you, I, I mean, obviously, there, there's nobody else. Um, there's no other child in Bethlehem that's in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and so forth. I said, that's, that's where you need to go. You, you, and, you, and, and you'll find him. You'll find him. And then the last thing this morning, look at this. And suddenly, verse 13, here is the praise of the heavenly host. So the angel, one angel makes the announcement, but then here comes the support. I mean, the soloist comes forth, and then the whole choir joins in. Um, and it says this, and, and suddenly, in other words, in an instant, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Now it's interesting, that word multitude literally means the fullness. The fullness. So sometimes it means, and, and multitude never means three or four, or even ten or twelve, or even a hundred. A multitude means a huge number. But the, 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 the literal translation of that word is 
fullness. So we could read that, the fullness of the heavenly host. So I'm suggesting to you possibly every angel in heaven came down to, to, to give praise to God. It makes sense. It makes perfect biblical sense. This is such a great event. I mean, I, it would be great to be that one angel that came down. It may have been Michael. Michael's the one that stands for the people of Israel. So maybe, maybe Gabriel. But, but anyway, the whole multitude comes down. And they, and they start. They praise God. The whole, the, 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 suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, praising God, exalting God for who he is, what he had done, and saying, so that's the second part of the praise. You've got to get that. Praising God, simply praising God, which the angels do all the time. Lesson for us. We write down all these assignments. Lesson for us. Praise God. Praise Just praise God for who he is. And that we, as sinners, have the privilege to praise him. I, I, can't, I still can't get my brain around that fact that God would accept praise from worms like us. I mean, we're the worst, we're the worst creatures in the whole universe. Do you know that? We're the only peop- oh, people, we're the only creatures that don't obey God all the time naturally. But we can praise him when we're saved. Now, so here's what, here, here's their, here, their praise of God. Now, here's their message. And, and, it's, it, and it, a lot of people think it was in the form of a song. And it probably was. It probably was singing because a lot of times in the Bible, it'll say, the children of Israel sang this song singing. And of course, that, that emphasizes the words of the song. The multitudes in heaven singing. Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It, it says it's a song. But they say the words. The words are, because the words are important, they enunciate the words. Remember how remember choir? And Bible cool, yeah, Bible cool, I started to say college and school. Brother Dale, the, the director, be sure to enunciate the words. The people have to hear the words. There's times when we've been going somewhere and we'll hear this music. And is that a Christian song or not? Oh yeah, they just said something about Jesus. It must be a Christian song. Couldn't tell the words because the music drowned out the words, okay? Well, that's not how it's supposed to be. The words are important. The melody, the words, anyway. So the words are this. Here's the words. Simple, isn't it? Very simple, simple song. We would say chorus today. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Exaltation. Majesty ascribed to God. Glory to God in the highest. And the word highest is very, 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 very specific here. It means most exalted and refers to the person and position of God. All right? It's not saying we're giving him high glory. No, we're giving him glory in the highest where he sits. And because the idea there is that he is most high. He is over everything. And I've heard a lot of people say, talking about all the stuff that's going on, the COVID and all that, well, yeah, you know, yeah, God's still on the throne. Like, really? That's awful. That's a stupid, that's a terrible way to say it. Oh, yeah, God's still on the throne. No matter how bad things are, God's still there. As if they're saying, well, he's not really doing a very good job. That, that, that's blasphemy. 
Now stop, yeah, God's our show. No, God is the throne. <laughs> and everything that's going on is exactly what his plan is for this universe. Do you really believe that? Or is it only when things are going good that God's on the throne? No, God's on the throne. He's, in, he's on the highest. And so the angels recognize that. And then they said this. And on earth, here, here, here is the application. Like I mentioned Wednesday night, talking about the omnipotence of God, the power of God. All right, how does that affect us? And I showed scriptures about how God's power works in us and through us. So, because these, these are not just theological terms, these are not just doctrines. That they are, they are vital and living and important. So, what does it mean for Earth? What does it mean for the people on Earth? Peace. That's the idea of the peace with God and the peace of God. Um, that is the idea of harmony, tranquility. The word peace in the Bible always involves the work of reconciliation. There's peace because God has reconciled us to himself. I love that, the hymn, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's only one part I don't like. It says, God and sinners reconciled. That's not right. It's not God and sinners. It's sinners reconciled to God. All right? And that's important. That's an important difference. The modern gospel, the new evangelical, ecumenical gospel, waters down God. The word of God does not. God is not your buddy. Right? God is not like your motorcycle buddy. You know, he's not like your fishing buddy. Not, I'm not saying anything wrong with those things, but God's not our buddy. All right? He's our Lord, our Master. He's our Savior. He's our Heavenly Father. Just like if you have kids, you're, you're, no, you're not your kid's buddy, right? You're, you're not your kid's friend, right? You're, you're, you're your child's mother or father and parent. Yes, you love your kids. You want them to love you, but you're not their pal, all right? Um, that's, that's another thing, too, that just drives you crazy when parents call their kid's buddy or friend. No, we're not. And God's not our, our buddy, not our pal. He offers us peace. But on whose terms? His terms. You don't get peace if you don't meet the requirements for peace. And then he says this. Good, I could say a lot about that. Goodwill toward men. Some of the new versions of the Bible slaughter that verse. I, I, I can't stand it. Because somebody said, hey, this is what my Bible says. What's yours say? It says, peace to men of goodwill. Oh, that's awful. It's not about us at all. God doesn't just give peace to men of goodwill because there aren't any men of goodwill. It's goodwill from heaven, from God to men, right? And that means favor, good pleasure. Again, it's like it's a, it's the idea of the grace of God. It's peace through Christ. It's goodwill through Christ and what He would do. It was anticipated that He would do that, and in God's sight, it's already done. That's what the Bible means when it says that Christ was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. It's good as done in the eternal counsel of God. All right, I'm going to close. I read this. I couldn't. I have to share this. J.C. Ryle was a preacher back in the day, back in the, I think in the 18, maybe 1900s, early, and he, I, I read a quote from him on Luke, commenting on the song of the angels, Peace on earth. Now has come to earth the peace of God which passeth all understanding the perfect peace between a holy God and sinful man, which Christ was to purchase with his own blood. The peace which is offered freely to all, to all mankind. The peace which, 
once admitted into the heart makes man live at peace one with another and will one day overspread the whole world. So, in fact, Romans, I'm going to go away from my quote for a minute. Romans 12 says this, as, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, we can't, maybe we can't always live peaceably, but it should never be our fault. We should never be the instigator of animosity. And there's a lot of well-meaning Christians running around just, just, just making everybody mad by saying things, all right? Anyway, so there's that peace will one day overspread the world. And then back to Brother Ryle. Goodwill toward men, the song concludes. Now has come the time when God's kindness and goodwill towards guilty man is to be fully made known. His power was seen in creation. His justice was seen in the flood, but his mercy remains to be fully revealed by the appearing and atonement of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Yes, in the Old Testament, God showed grace and God showed mercy, but not to the extent. His grace remained to be fully revealed by the appearing and atonement of Jesus Christ. Such was the purport of the angel's song. Happy are they, they can enter into its meaning, and with their hearts subscribe to its contents. The man who hopes to dwell in heaven should have some experimental acquaintance with the language of its inhabitants. In other words, if, we're, if we hope to be there someday, we ought to start talking like the people that are there. Uh, somebody sent me something on, on my f- social thing this week. How can people that won't go to God's house expect to live in his mansion? That's an interesting, interesting thought. And a lot of people that I know that claim to be saved, they, they would never open a Bible. They would never come through a church door. In fact, they get mad if you ask them, but they're saved. That's a whole other subject, so I, I, shouldn't, I didn't mean to divert or digress into that. But it's a problem. Have you ever heard of A.W. Tozer? Anybody ever read any of A.W. Tozer's work? He, he, he made the observation about 50 years ago, he felt that less than 50% of members of fundamental churches are even saved. I hope that's not true here. I don't want to make anybody doubt. But if we're saved, it's going to man- it'll manifest itself in certain ways. Um, among other things, America has been guilty of this terrible, easy believism, the, the watered-down gospel. You know, pray a prayer, repeat after me, and you're, you're, you're okay forever. You know, the Bible has nothing to say about that. Nothing to say. The Bible says of any man being Christ, anybody saved, they're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I don't know about you, but I praise God that all things are become new. I'm just so thankful for the new things. And, and after all these years of living and, and me, being a minister, I, uh, God, I'm still seeing the new things that God has for us. Um, that's why you have to get in the book. Anyway, so God bless. Thank you so much for, for being here today, for listening, for singing, and the, great, the greatest event that ever took place, the birth of our Savior. And take us, you know, the Bible, or the, yeah, the Bible, our hymn book says, take the name of Jesus with you. Would you do that? Take him with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this sweet time that we can have together. Thank you for the word of God today, and thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for Joseph and Mary and their obedience, and they're certainly part of the great story. We're thankful for the angels that you sent to earth to, to uh, uh, just to fortify and, and affirm the truth of what had taken place. And Father, just please guide us. We're, we're just barely uh, skimming the surface of the great book of Luke, 
And Father, I just can't wait to continue through it and, and just with, by the help of the Holy Spirit, just unleash and unfold the great truths of the book of Luke. And so, Lord, for those that, that are listening on the phone today, uh, encourage them, speak to their hearts, challenge them. And Father, just we pray that thou do great and mighty things. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books and we'll turn to um, hymn number 95. Um, there's a couple of hymns in our hymn book that really capture the story in a very concise manner. And one of those is hymn number 95. While shepherds watch their flocks by night. Let's stand. Number 95. And we will sing all five verses. I especially love verse number five. All of it's great, wonderful. But verse number five really gives the perspective of where the peace and the goodwill, where they're found, where they come from, and who's the recipients, all right? <clears throat> While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around and glory shone around fear not said he for mighty dread had seized their troubled mind glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind to you and all mankind to you in David's town this day is born of David's line the shepherd is thus Christ the Lord and this shall be the sign and this shall be the sign the heavenly babe you there shall find to human view displayed all meanly wrapped in swathing bands and in a manger laid and in a manger laid all glory be to God on high and to the earth be peace good will henceforth from heaven to men begin and never cease begin and never cease all right sorry about that little mix up there um he is shepherd and savior heavenly father again so, so privileged to be able to be here today and to be even in this beautiful earth which you have created to be able to gather with god's people and sing the great hymns and 
to pray to our God and Father to just share praises and news of missionaries and things and then most of all, most importantly, to open our Bibles and look at the precious truth of God's word. And I just pray that the truth of God will continue to be proclaimed, to go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit throughout this day, throughout this evening, and that this Lord's Day would prove to be a day of great, great victory for the cause of Christ. All glory be to God on high, as we have just sung. Father, thou art worthy to receive all worship and praise and thanks and honor and glory and blessing and salvation even as the saints the saints worship is recorded in heaven in the book of revelation oh god help us to be people of praise help us also to be people of 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 intent and of of a burden for those around us who are lost god work in us by your holy spirit and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Please watch over us as we leave here and be with us this afternoon. Bless the service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.